So just a bit of um, introduction to start with. So, so my name is uh, Jeremy Segrot. I'm a research fellow in public health based in the Decipher Centre at Cardiff University. And Decipher is a public health uh, research centre of excellence. We span Bristol, Cardiff and Swansea universities. And our work is really uh, mainly around evaluating complex interventions for public health improvement with a focus on uh, children and young people. So for me today is a bit of a journey into the unknown because I'm not a, a researcher in higher education. So um, I wasn't sure, for instance, how many of you um, may have used Twitter and don't know about Twitter or, or use it in, in your work. The other uh, thing just to say is that um, although ACRI is a group that welcomes students, we're not specifically um, focused only at students, but we're um, trying to engage with academic writers at various stages of their careers. But nevertheless, I hope that some of what I'll say today will have some relevance um, for the kind of the student experience. And in Decipher, I guess one of the things that I'm really interested in, my research is mainly looking at um, the prevention of alcohol misuse in young people and the role of family communication. But I'm very interested in, as is the Decipher Centre more generally, in how we um, achieve kind of good knowledge exchange between research, policy and practice. And so the kind of things I'm going to talk about Twitter, although I'm not going to talk explicitly about knowledge exchange, it's kind of within that sort of context that I'm trying to think about it. So this is what I'm going to try and do in my um, 20, 25 minutes. I'll um, say a little bit about um, what Twitter is for those of you that are maybe not familiar. And those of you that know lots about it can kind of correct me or, or add things if you, if you want to. I'll give you a bit about the background and the aims of what ACRA is, and I'll explain what the, what the acronym, what the name means. And then I'll um, take you through some kind of thoughts that we've had about, well, not only kind of linking, I guess, into your introductory comments, not just what it is, but what does it do and what might its potential be, and um, both in terms of thinking about its spatiality, how it connects people in different places, but also what difference might it make to academic writers. But I'll, I'll kind of put in a caveat at the outset that this isn't a research study, so I'll be asking probably more questions than I'll be giving you answers. And then I'll try and wrap up with um, some concluding thoughts. So um, when, when I arrived this morning, I, um, I got rather lost on the street here, um, and I bumped into a taxi driver who um, didn't really want to give me directions. He wanted me to tell him what Twitter um, was about. Um, this is a very bad example for a public health researcher to be showing you about donuts. And but it's just to say that there are all kinds of kind of social media out there. Twitter is just um, one one kind of them. But I guess what links all these kinds of social media is that they're interactive. They're, they're going beyond a traditional website, if you like, where the emphasis is on the exchange of knowledge. So just um, just for me to get a sense of whether I'm talking to loads and loads of experts here. How, how many of you have a Twitter account? Blimey, okay, right. And, and how many of you don't, just so I can... Okay, that's good. So, um, I guess some of this may be quite familiar to you, and one day it will become quite redundant for someone like me to stand here and say what Twitter is. But I guess it's a, a cross between social networking and um, kind of micro-blogging. It comprises short messages or tweets, a maximum of 140 <coughs> characters, um, you see tweets from people that you follow, and um, you can share tweets um, with, with your followers. You can share your own information, and you can share other people's tweets with, with your followers. Often tweets are linking out to uh, other sites, so hyperlinks are very important, and um, keywords, um, which are called hashtags with the little symbol there, allow you to really search quite um, easily for all the tweets on, on a topic. 
and the hashtag at the bottom there, Outcry, that's short for academic writing, and that's the hashtag that we use for the for the um, the Outcry group. So I just have a, a couple of short um, videos that I wanted to use. Um, one is a very basic introduction to Twitter, and then some some more visual stuff. So let me see if this will work. Twitter in 60 seconds. Ready? Let's say there's you and someone else. If they follow you, then they read your tweets. Similarly, if you follow them, you see their tweets. And if you don't like them very much, you can always unfollow them. You have 140 characters. That includes all of your URLs. If you want to talk to or about someone, you basically reply to or mention them. In a reply, you refer to them in the beginning of your tweet. In a mention, you refer to them anywhere else. Remember that where you put their username will determine who else can see that tweet. Retweets are forwarded tweets. Basically, if you like something that someone else has said, you can share it with all of your followers by retweeting it. Don't worry, the original tweeter will get credit. Use direct messages when you don't really want to broadcast all of your personal information to the entire Twitterverse. Keep in mind, however, that only people who follow you can receive your direct messages. Twitter in 60 seconds is brought to you by Scoochman.org. Okay, so just a kind of a, a general overview, probably far better than I could do in, in 60 seconds. Um, And this is the um, what happened when there was the tsunami in Japan. And so, um, Twitter is a network, a global network, it's a kind of a conversation, so it's kind of quite, it's quite dynamic and it's a very efficient way of exchanging uh, information. Okay, and this is what it, what it looks like, this is my, my homepage. Um, you can see here um, who I follow, who's following me, and here are the tweets um, down the right-hand side. And then I took the liberty last night of just searching for SRHE just to see who was who was talking about the event today. So is Carl Lester here? This sounds like a register at school. <laughs> <laughs> there's Carl and Michael. 
right while well, he'll be in detention. Um, and, and Jane, there's Jane here. So there's, so there's Jane. And so immediately you can see that um, last night I could begin to get a sense of you know, what kind of audience this might be, what, what were people talking about the event, and, and so on. So I'd like to tell you that there was a big, great plan, and that we had a, one, I had a wonderful, kind of, um, kind of well-thought-out idea about how, um, what our cry might be and, and the idea, but it wasn't like that at all. I was on a ferry going on holiday, and I suddenly thought, I wonder if anybody's ever used Twitter to bring together people that are doing academic writing, because there seem to be other groups out there for people, um, everything really from, um, from single parents to, um, to kind of, um, societies, clubs, you name it. And to my surprise, there wasn't really anyone doing a kind of a network that drew together academic writers. And I thought, well, maybe it's a good idea. So I kind of put a few messages out, and um, I discovered that there was a website called PhD Published, um, which is really about helping PhD students make that transition into kind of publishing um, their work. And it's really a very supportive website with lots of resources and kind of peer support. And they had used, um, they'd had a kind of an experiment where they'd had a hashtag called Accrite, academic writing, and they'd run that for about a month. And we basically teamed up and we decided that we would run a network called Accrite that would bring together academic writers. And again, these are not the aims that we kind of set out with right at the beginning. These have kind of emerged, if you like, as we've gone along. But really for us, what, what the group is about is trying to create a space that we can actually discuss the key challenges in the writing process. Because I think for me, one of the things that I found quite challenging about writing, it is quite difficult, and we don't tend to talk about the process. We tend to talk about the end product. And a lot of us are scratching our heads sometimes to think, well, how do we get there? How do we write better? How do we write well? It's actually quite an isolating experience, and I thought, actually, if we connect to people with Twitter, could that reduce the isolation? Could we normalise some of the difficulties that probably a lot of us experience, and, and can make those more accepted and, and less, less challenging? Could we share solutions and strategies? There must be different ways of, kind of achieving good writing and getting your outputs. Um, we could then identify goals and celebrate uh, writing successes. And perhaps, probably most importantly, would it be a way to increase the quantity of what we, what we write and the quality of our written outputs? And also, just to reaffirm, really, the role of writing as a part of being um, either a student or an academic. So this is how it works. Every Thursday at 8 p.m., we have a one-hour uh, live chat. So we invite anybody um, to join in that discussion um, by um, using the ACRI hashtag in any tweets that they that they kind of um, send. So that, that's how you contribute. You tweet using that hashtag, and everybody can see everything that's being <coughs> discussed um, under the, the, the hashtag as part of the discussion. We welcome people to actively join in, but we also welcome people just to kind of um, to sit and sort of to watch what's going on. Each session is facilitated, not, not very strictly, but it's structured, and we always have a, a theme, although every now and then we have like an open house where people can bring any issue really that they're interested in discussing. Um, and what you will often find is that there'll be sort of multiple conversations going on. It's not always just a one uh, kind of linear track. There are different people perhaps having slightly um, different conversations. And then afterwards we archive the tweets in Storify and we put them on, on the PhD to Publish website so that actually there's the resource there that people can go back to. And we've got about 2,050 followers. Um, you don't have to follow Acry um, to be part of Acry. If you have a computer and the internet, then you, you can uh, take part in the discussion. 
But what we now have is our own quite a well-established network of academic writers. So anyone can take part in ACRI, and we have people from around the world um, that will typically join us um, on a Thursday evening, which of course is often Thursday morning or Friday morning. But because of the, the time um, difficulties, there's now a, um, a kind of a, a parallel group, um, ACRI Asia Pacific, which kind of works at a time that, that suits that, that part of the world better. And then just to show you where our followers are, so the people that follow the ACRI account, and just to say that you can see that we've, although we've got lots in the UK, we have people from a lot of people in the States, quite a few in Australia, and lots of different countries. So it is an international uh, network. And this is just a, a snapshot. This is what you would see if you joined us on a Thursday evening. I think on this occasion we were discussing what you do when you get um, a paper rejected by a, a, a journal, or you get quite critical reviewers' comments. Um, and you, so you can see here that someone's saying, um, how long would you recommend leaving it for? I think that's how long would you put the critical comments in the drawer for before looking at them? Um, and then Fiona says, well, um, first read through, get slightly affronted, wait a while and realize most are okay. So really kind of opening up, what are some of the really hard issues when you're trying to write? Um, and Chris Gibson there, so he's from, um, I think he's from Australia. Um, so we have people from different countries and that, that's something that I've really um, valued. So here are some of the topics that we cover. We often do a poll online and we ask people to choose from a, a short list, but we also ask people just to give us their ideas about what they might want to cover. Um, we tend to look at some of the psychological and emotional issues around writing, although it, um, we don't ask people to discuss anything in any detail, but to look at the kind of the emotional labour of writing, if you like, um, about how to organise writing, um, technology, um, anything from reference management to literature reviews, but also the practical aspects of writing. Where do people write best, what times of day, um, and uh, time management. So we've dealt with motivation to write, why do we write, what gets us to, to, to write, and um, what are the blocks, what tools do we use, and um, time management's one of our favorites, I think, um, blogs and blogging, so different kinds of, of outputs, um, writing grant applications, and we've done quite a lot on editing and revising, so thinking about uh, the different stages, about getting beyond a first draft. Um, and then we have some kind of old chestnuts that we, we come back to, um, sometimes about writing rituals and routines, the materiality of writing, some people like paper, some people like computers, um, what's good writing and how can we write well, um, confidence in writing, how can we um, develop our confidence, emotional resilience, so, so dealing with knocks, um, and then we really try and look at shared experiences and solutions. But it can really be anything that people want to discuss that they would, they would find helpful. And then about a year ago, um, or a year and a half ago, uh, Pat Thompson, who's a professor of education at the University of Nottingham, and who's someone that's kind of been part of the, the group, and um, said, would we like to go and present this, um, this project at the Society for Research into Higher Education? And that seemed like a really good idea, but then I realised that we hadn't ever um, set this up as a kind of a project with a, a theoretical um, kind of basis. It, it just kind of evolved. So that really kind of challenged us to think about what might be some of the underlying processes going on and what difference might this group be making. So um, being a human geographer, although you wouldn't know it by the way that I managed to get here this morning, um, I began to think about the spatiality of the network and I particularly like that example of the tsunami 
with these kind of networks going around the world and connecting different places. So it struck us that Akrai, it's a geographically diffuse network. It doesn't have one center, it doesn't have a building, and it connects writers across different countries and different cultures, and I think it's all the better for that. Um, people at different points in their careers, so we don't have any kind of upper or lower limit. If somebody's writing and they want to be part of the, the group, then they, they can join and with pleasure. So we have a lot of PhD students, um, because I guess that's probably one of the hardest parts of doing a PhD, it certainly was for mine, is that writing process. But we have quite experienced academics, and um, for instance, we had um, a kind of a guest slot, we had a, a journal editor who kind of was giving advice about how to, to write good journal articles, how to kind of navigate the, um, the submission process. We're multidisciplinary, so we have people from a wide range of disciplines, and we're looking at different kinds of outputs. So really everything from PhD theses to papers, to books, to blogs, um, and anything really that, that's written academic work. It's a decentered network, so it only meets online. We don't have a physical base. It's an open network. There's no membership. Anyone can join. Um, and it's run through long-distance collaboration. Most of us that are organizing it have never met and, and probably never will do. So our, our live chats are kind of loosely structured. We, we try and, and kind of facilitate them. Um, but the participants decide the focus of those discussions. We don't often, we don't always know quite where the discussion will lead, and we're fairly kind of happy with that. And we have often multiple conversations, and people will sometimes continue the conversation after that dedicated at right hour. And through the tweets that people write, all of their followers see their tweets, and through <coughs> those retweets and the hashtag, um, the kind of the tweets that, that form Akrai get put into these multiple um, uh, networks and kind of get circulated quite widely. And people can use the Akrai hashtag anytime they want to. We, we, we don't own it, um, it's there for anybody to use if they want to tag their, their tweet with Akrai to, to signify that it's about academic writing. So really it's a network without borders and I guess um, we're not located in a formal academic space so we're kind of at the fringes. We're not owned by a university or any formal academic space. So then I, I kind of thought, I wonder if, um, if kind of post-structuralism might take us a little bit towards understanding ACRI. So I, I wouldn't claim that this is a, a detailed um, kind of analysis of ACRI using post-structuralism. But I wondered, well, could these live chats be thought in post-structuralist terms as events? And what Morton and Thrift say about events is that they're unpredictable and that they have eventfulness, they have surprisingness, that they're not kind of controlled and you can't always predict them. And that's one of the things that I always enjoy about the chats, is that you will often discover things that you never thought you, you were going to find out. So there could be events, or in post-structuralist terms, maybe they're what we might think of as uh, assemblages. So this is kind of Bennett's um, definition of assemblages. Um, it's quite a long quote, so I've kind of just drawn out what I thought were the key points. Um, uh, post-structuralists, they kind of tend to use lots of numbers, which is quite good. So he says that um, an assemblage is an ad hoc grouping, a collectivity whose origins are historical and circumstantial, um, though its contingent status says nothing about its efficacy. So in other words, it doesn't need to have a long kind of stable history to have some kind of impact. Um, it can um, be quite strong. And second, it's a living, throbbing grouping 
whose coherence exists or coexists with energies and countercultures that exceed and confound it. So we can't, we don't define the network exclusively. The people that can take part, if you like, can help define what it does and what it's about. Um, third, it's a, a web with an uneven topography. Some of the points at which the trajectories of accidents cross each other are more heavily trafficked than others, and thus power is not equally distributed across the assemblage. So it's kind of, it's not kind of a neat thing with a clear centre. Um, but interestingly, I suppose there are issues about power. Who, you know, who takes part, who defines the topics, um, who has a say in what we, we discuss. And in fourth, it's not governed by a central power. So no one member has sufficient competence to fully determine the consequences of activities of the assemblage. And that kind of seemed to chime in quite a lot of ways with the way that the network is set up as this kind of very open, fluid, flexible kind of and collection of people that's constantly changing. So it's not a tightly controlled, coherent thing with one outcome. An assemblage can have lots of disparate elements and it can combine those quite happily. And what Delander says is that in an assemblage, components have a certain autonomy from the whole they compose. That is, they may be detached from it and plugged into another assemblage. And so what we'll often find is that after our chats, people will begin to kind of retweet and forward their the, the tweets from the hour, and then we get more people join in, and then other people make connections with other people, and so it goes on. So the, the, the network or an assemblage has the potential to produce uh, multiple effects. So that's really a bit about how this might be operating, um, and that's something that, as I say, we didn't really kind of think very clearly at the start, but we've been sort of forced to think about a bit and have, and have quite enjoyed doing that. But then the big question, I guess, is what, what does it matter? Does it have any impact on, on writing? Is what we're doing, you know, it, it might be fun, it might be enjoyable, but does it actually have any impact on the writing process? And I suppose the really honest answer is I, I'm not sure, but I think it does. We haven't done any research um, and we would need to do that. So I'm not making um, claims here. These are really kind of questions. But hopefully what we've achieved is that we've made the writing process visible and tangible. And we said writing is a really important process and we should be talking about it. And we try to turn what are quite often individualised um, experiences into social networks. So to kind of put those individual experiences into a network of supportive colleagues. And to try and connect writers and to reduce the isolation. Because I know that for me, often my writing is done by myself at a desk and it isn't really often a very sociable activity. And we've tried to normalise some of the common writing challenges and to say to people, you may be finding it hard to write the introduction to your thesis and there are probably lots of other people that are finding the same challenges and that's okay. And I think also we've reflected on the fact that this network is perhaps different, say, for something like today, which is equally important and, and very good. So we're talking about writing and maybe the outcry group, one of its distinctive qualities is that we're asking people to write about writing, to reflect on writing through actually writing tweets. And there's maybe something a bit, a bit different going on there. It's action-oriented, so we try and kind of end our hour with um, some kind of um, kind of um, people kind of setting goals and celebrating their writing successes. Um, so then the question, I guess, is, um, is it impacting on the quantity and quality of our writing? I think certainly for me, it's made me think more about how I write 
and, and it's going to help me to reflect on um, kind of ways that I can improve the quality of, of our writing. So hopefully we, we, we've achieved that, but you might have to go and ask the people that have joined us um, for us to be kind of really um, definitive about that. So I'll just kind of end with four, I guess, conclusions, and then I'd be really interested to know what, what you think. Um, often I think Twitter's seen as really a bit frivolous and a bit limited. Um, you can't write very much, and it's often really, really about kind of frivolous content. Who, who wants to know what you have for breakfast, lunch, or, or, or dinner? But I think we feel that it might have a potential to build connections between writers and to develop an online community. Um, Acry is an open network, and it's about comprised of events and assemblages, and it's really about linking people, information, and pathways, and really trying to form an interactive network. So I wouldn't suggest that it's any better or any more superior than any other kind of um, digital tool. It's one tool, but I think it might um, offer some potential to help us to develop our academic writing um, through the process of writing itself. <coughs> And finally, there's um, our kind of contact details, so our, our Twitter handles, um, <coughs> and also then the uh, homepage for the for the Acquire Group. Thank you. <coughs>